Last week, we looked at big, huge thanks from Romans 8, and we're going to start out talking about that a little bit. So we're going to be in Romans 8. Thank you. Hopefully you have a Bible and you can turn to it or click on it and look at Romans 8. We're going to cover some more verses in that chapter today. But last week we looked at God's working in our lives and we were reminded that the Holy Spirit enters into our deepest pain and partners with us in our prayers. That's so amazing that He partners with us and joins with us in our prayers. And and we reminded ourselves that God works everything together for good. Not that everything becomes good. Not that, oh, miraculously, that horrible thing is now suddenly good. No, He works it all together for good. The good, the bad, the ugly. All of it together for good. And it grows us in our relationship with and our likeness to Jesus Christ. And then we also looked at God has worked in every moment of your life to bring you to a place of conviction for your sin and confessing Christ as your Savior. He called you to be on His team and in His family. And He justified you and chooses to share His glory with you forever. And you know, you just think about those big ideas and you think, man, it can't get better than that. Big, huge thanks. Well, those are amazing truths, and they fill us with big, huge thanks. But we have something better that we're going to look at this morning. So this is the biggest, hugest, thankfulest. I know that's not grammatically appropriate, but it works, doesn't it? It works. Biggest, hugest, thankfulest. Look at your Bible, please. Romans chapter 8, look in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? Now, that's a question, right? Now, what things is he talking about? Well, he might be talking about the things he was just writing earlier in this chapter. He might be talking about the things he's been writing since Romans 1.1, when he began this letter and and bringing this argument through, and now he's here in chapter 8, and what shall we say to these things? And, And then he gives us the answer in another question. If God be for us, who can be against us? So here's a big, 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 huge, huge thankfulness thing. God is on your side. God is on your side. People don't think that. Most of the time, if you talk to people in the world and you talk to them about God, they get this idea that God's up in heaven just waiting for you to mess up so he can zap you. You know? He's, he's just watching Richard really close, and, and he's just ready to go pop on the side of his head. That's not God. That's not the one true and living God. That might be some of man's artificial characteristics of God, like they believe God's an angry God that you have to try and appease, so you offer sacrifices and you dedicate your life. And don't get me wrong. God's pleased with sacrifices, and He's pleased when you dedicate your life. But remember in the Old Testament when when they were bringing their sacrifices and God said, why are you doing this? 
Your sacrifices make me sick. Isaiah chapter 1. He said it's because he wanted their hearts. And all they were doing was going through the motions. So I think it's a good thing if you came in and put offering in the box. We're having special offering we're, we're, uh, for the Raju family that they have some turmoil going on in their country and they may lose the ability to receive foreign aid. And he works with uh, children's uh, ministry. He works as a pastor and leading an association of churches. He leads a Bible school and a seminary and all of this. And we're helping support all of those ministries. And so that's a great thing. And this morning, Kathy and I brought extra in and we put it in there to to go directly to the Raju family to help them because they need it. And it's a great opportunity and the opportunity might be going away. So we want to make sure we get it there in time. And, and there's, there's people in different cultures and in different places, but, but they bring offerings. And when you bring an offering to the Lord and your heart is right and there's a generosity of spirit because God has blessed you and now you want to give, and, and then that offering is great. But if you walked in this morning and you had a a grumpy attitude and you thought, I know God needs this money, he makes me give it, and so I'm putting it in there, and you just stuffed a check or some cash in that box, and you're like really grumpy about it, you know what? God can still use it to bless our church and the Raju family, but you won't get any blessing from it. God's not an angry God. You don't have to try and talk him into being on your side. He's not like a grumpy dad or a grumpy grandpa that you have got to work around and be quiet and polite to. He's he's a gracious, kind, and loving Heavenly Father. But billions of people on the planet believe that God is angry. And God is angry with the wicked every day. The Bible says so. But he's angry with their sinful behavior. But when God's angry at people, God's not saying, Oh, Georgia, I am just so waiting to smack you, girl. That's not God. God is saying, now her pastor might say that, but God wouldn't say that. God is saying, Georgia, I don't like what you're doing. Come to me. Let's let's make it better. Come here. Let's get over this. Come on, let's learn and grow. Well, he won't learn, but you will. Learn and grow. And and God is angry sometimes with our sin, but he always responds with a heart of love to call us to repentance and call us unto himself. The truth is that God loves you. He will not support your sin, but he will always love you. So this first question, what shall we say to these things? Um, Because all of those things are true, what shall we say? And the second question is the answer to the first. What shall we then say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is for you. God is on your side. And he is working on you, in you, with you, through you, and for you. God is on your side. He wants to see you succeed at what matters most for time and eternity. Imagine you were on a sports team and God is on your side. Right? You're getting ready to play football and massive God is on your side. You're ready to play basketball and, you know, maybe you have a 
seven foot five guy who can really jump. He could dunk with his elbows. You'd be amazed to play basketball with that guy on your team. God is on your side. Imagine you're playing soccer and there's a guy who from that corner of the field can kick a hard rocket all the way into the other goal. You want him on your team. You're, you're going to have a, a swimming relay and you want the guy who can go the fastest on your team. You, you'd be so excited. Well, God is on your team. God is you, you can't lose because God gives you the grace and strength you need. He's on your team, but he's also the judge who will score your efforts. He's the coach. He's assisting you. He's the scorekeeper. He's the analyst. He's God. He's all of it. And he's on your side. You know, I like to uh, watch uh, sports and see some people cheering and yelling. And, and it's uh, my son Nathan used to compete in uh, Little League and soccer. And, you know, in that young age, he was in kindergarten, right, playing soccer. And, and you know, all they know is there's a ball. And, and so all the guys want to chase after the ball. And sometimes even the goalie goes running after the ball. And, and you know, and, and you just want, and you see the parents, and they're like, yeah, yeah, go. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, go. Oh, no. And go, but God's, God's kind of like a cheerleader in your life, except instead of God standing on the side saying, go, you can do this, he comes in with you and he helps you. And in your life, if you will listen and learn from His Word and from His Spirit, it, it's like God steering you in the right direction. I watched my daughter-in-law do that with her youngest son uh, last week. Uh, he started to go this way, and she grabbed his head and gently just turned it this way. And then, oh, then he realized where he was supposed to go, and he took off in the right direction. And God will do that if you'll listen. And but God has something bigger in mind than winning a competition or even you being comfortable in life. God wants you to grow beyond your wildest dreams. He wants you to become more like Christ, the perfect one, the Son of God, God the Son. God will never be content for you to be content. He always wants you to grow. He will never be content for you to be content. He wants you to grow. Now, there's times you have to be content, like Paul said. I am content in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. In fact, uh, Kathy and I, when we lived in Texas, we used to jokingly quote that verse, whatsoever state I am, therewith I'll be content. But and God in His grace and mercy allowed us to move back to Arizona. Uh, but, you know, Paul was saying, whatever I'm going through, I'm going to be content with that. But, you see, Paul was content with the circumstances of his life. But he was not content with his growth. He said, I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize of the upward call of Christ. And, and that's what he wanted to pursue. So he had this contentment with his circumstances coupled with this drive for personal growth. And that's what God wants to see in your life. Now, picture some of the things that God does just in nature. With God supervising the growing... Even a soft tree root can push through hard rock. And as the root grows, split 
the rock in half. Even a water drop, tiny little water drop, can join with enough other water drops that you have Niagara Falls. God is for you. He's on your side. He's not happy when you sin. He's not happy when you fail. But he doesn't beat you up for it. We used to joke, uh, God allowed some difficult circumstances in our lives. And so I told Kathy that God was saying, Bwahaha, because we had made some plans and the plans went out the window with financial setback, and so we couldn't do those plans. And I said, God's saying, Bwahaha. Well, Kathy got kind of offended at that. She said, God does not say, Bwahaha. And so Megan very quickly said, yeah, God says, ha ha, blah. <laughs> but you know, the truth is, when you go through hard times, God never says, blah, ha ha. I've got to admit, I was driving down the freeway once, and there was a sheriff on the side of the road dealing with a flat tire, and I chuckled. Should I have done that? Apparently not, because I got an evil glare from the passenger seat. I won't say who was there, but, you know. Uh, You shouldn't laugh at other people's calamities, but it just seemed funny to me at the time. God never laughs at your calamities. As we looked last week, He enters in with you. He helps you. He prays with you. He feels your pain, and not in any way like a politician could stand up and say, I feel your pain. He really does. And he enters in, and he loves you, and he cares for you. He freely gives you his salvation. Look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He freely gives you his salvation. He freely gives you spiritual strength for life and a glorious home in heaven for the life to come because God is on your side. The greatest blessings are freely given to the people God names as his own. You won't have an easy life. But if you walk with God, you will have a life of significance, and you will never walk alone. He will go with you. Even when other people misunderstand you, say bad things about you, God loves you. He's on your side, and He will bless and enrich you. And if you walk with Him, He will bless and enrich the people around you. Right here's a second big idea, right? God will never condemn you, never. You have a, have you heard about diplomatic immunity? What what happens with diplomatic immunity? Somebody in another country comes here to the United States, and maybe they commit a crime, but we can't charge them with that crime, and we can't hold them guilty because they have what's called diplomatic immunity. 
They're a diplomat from another country, and so they're not subject to our laws. They're subject to that country's laws. I got a great fix for that. If you don't want to be subject to the laws of the United States, go away. It seems like an easy fix. But, but we have this concept called diplomatic immunity. And with diplomatic immunity, somebody who's a representative from another country can come here and they can't be condemned for anything. And some of them have done terrible things and they just get to go back home. All we can do is kick them out of the country. But, but see, we are citizens of heaven. And we have spiritual diplomatic immunity. God himself will not condemn you. You are free from condemnation. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. He will not condemn you. So he said here in chapter 8 and verse 32, um, I'm sorry, verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So God has already issued a judicial decree exempting us from condemnation. But it it's not a free pass for our sinful choices, like some of the people with diplomatic immunity act like. Um, your sins have consequences, but you will never be condemned. If you drive recklessly, you may cause an accident. It may hurt you. It may hurt other people. And some of the difficulties in your life are a direct result of your own sinful choices. In fact, Paul, earlier in this uh, book in chapter 11, he was talking about the way people treated the Lord's Supper, and some of them uh, did it inappropriately, and they treated it uh, silly, and some of them were, were uh, putting others down and exalting themselves in the middle of the Lord's Supper. And Paul said, for this reason, some of you have been sick and some of you have died. Some of the people in that congregation died because they were ignoring God's laws and instruction and guidelines for his church. Now, God, they would still go to heaven if they were his child. God does not exempt you from problems on earth, but you will never be condemned for your sin. Now, you are an ambassador for Christ. When you come you walk out in our community, you have to accept the responsibility of representing Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't mean you walk into Walmart and say, Greetings, earthlings. I come to you in the name of Jesus. That would probably get you arrested or put in a psych ward or something. We don't do that. But we're supposed to show the kindness and the grace that Jesus himself would show. We don't excuse sin, but we offer grace and call people to repentance for their sin. We don't live in fear of condemnation. We don't have to hope when we die we make it to heaven. God wants us to know it's our home. John 14, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. 
We belong there. We have a reservation there. There's a place for us. Now, hell should not scare believers. It grieves us because people we love and care about are going there, but hell does not scare us because we have received Christ and we will never be in hell. Now, earlier I said, I I imagine that God was a referee or an umpire and he was our coach and he was assisting us. So now the setting that Paul has here is in a courtroom scene where Jesus Christ is the judge or the arbiter of the circuit. His decision will be final. But not only is he the judge, he's also our defense attorney. He's the one arguing for us. And so our defense attorney is the one who's going to make the final determination. But it's even better than that. He's already prepaid the penalty that we would owe if we were found guilty. And so he says that penalty's been paid. They're free to go. And we're no longer in bondage. We're not in in the terminology he uses. Who is he who is condemned? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. That's what he says in verse 34. So in the courtroom, if you go into court, there's a judge. There's a separate prosecutor, there's a separate defense attorney, and and there's other things going on. But in this scenario, the judge, the final arbiter, is also the only one who condemns, so he would be uh, the uh, attorney for the state. Or uh, And then you have the defense attorney, well that's Jesus also, so Jesus is fulfilling all the roles. He's the only one who condemn you, and he says he won't because he's received you, and he's already paid the penalty of your sin, and he's the final arbiter as judge, and he pronounces you free to go. That's pretty good stuff, isn't it? Is this biggest, hugest, thankfulest? Not quite. All right. Now, I want to tell you that You should never use this lack of condemnation as an excuse for your own sin. I served as a chaplain for eight years. Ironically, eight years ago, I stopped. And uh, I had, anyway, as I served as a chaplain, um, I got called out to scene of a lot of accidents. And before they redid I-10, the stretch from I-10 from just south of here, to uh, Marana was the deadliest freeway in Arizona. And they they changed the road out there. Sorry. So it's not as bad. I've got a crazy hair stuck on my tongue. Uh, and so it's safer now. But I was called out there for accidents all the time. And I was called out there for one accident. It was multiple vehicles. And there, there were crashes and flames and really horrendous accident out there and uh, just near Picacho Peak exit. Uh, No, this side of Picacho Peak. Um, But anyway, the town of Picacho area. And in that accident, there were a dozen vehicles involved and seven people were airlifted by helicopter away from the scene 
to emergency rooms in Phoenix. Well, the greater Phoenix area would overwhelm a hospital. There were seven who were taken by ambulance. There were several who went by helicopter by uh, ambulance. There were seven who went by helicopter and several who went by ambulance, and and there were at least six dead. And the medical examiners had to bring multiple vans out to handle the dead. And all of that death and destruction was caused by one person. One person driving recklessly caused all the damage. He lost control of his vehicle while driving too fast. He came across the median and clipped another car that caused them to spin and get in an accident. And then he slammed into another car and he bounced off that one and landed on another one. And then the cars behind ran into those because they were driving a little too close, but they didn't cause the accident. One driver caused the accident. Let me tell you, your life choices impact other people. Your choices help people or hurt people. So you don't have any condemnation. But let me tell you this. When you've hurt somebody, you never, ever get over that. You can get beyond it. You you can accept God's forgiveness. You can get beyond and you can help other people. But there will be a little part of you when you have seriously hurt someone else, a little part of you feels pain for the rest of your life on earth. So, yes, we're condemned. I'm sorry, yes, we cannot be condemned. We will never be condemned. But we also have some responsibility to avoid hurting other people. Really wish I hadn't said that wrong. Your sins have consequences in your own life and in the lives of others, but you will never face condemnation because Christ has made you free. All right. But the biggest, most hugest, most thankfulest, anyway, the biggest idea of all is this next one. God loves you. God loves you. I had a friend who used to harass people. He'd say, man, you got a face only your mother could love. And then his friend said back to him, when you were born, the doctor slapped your mother. (laughs) Now, the truth is, the truth is we can love people that aren't very lovable, right? Some of you have kids or grandkids, they've broken your heart, and you love them anyway. That's, you can only get a broken heart from somebody you love. If you don't love them and they do something bad, you think, oh, that's bad, but you don't get a broken heart. God loves you. This is not just some emotional thing. God doesn't look down from heaven and go, oh, oh, there's Savannah. Oh, God doesn't do that. (laughs) There may be some teenage boys who do that, but God does not do that. 
God looks down from heaven and He loves, but God loves with an action-oriented love. In the Bible, love is not just this ooey-gooey feeling. It's an action-oriented activity, and God loves from the depths of His heart and soul. And He gave His whole body, Christ did, to prove His love. Now, look at how great His love is in verse 35. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Now, pause there and look at this verse. Have you read through the life of Paul? Have you seen all that Paul suffered? And a lot of this that he's saying here are stuff that he has personally experienced. Now, when he says, or sword, he hadn't experienced that yet. But according to history, uh, church history outside the Bible, because it's not recorded in the Scripture, but church history says Paul was beheaded because he was a Roman citizen, so they could not crucify him, so they beheaded him. That's the or sword. Paul's saying none of that stuff can separate us from God's love. Now, what we tend to think, what, what Christians in today's culture think is, if life hurts, God's mad. And as we looked last week, sometimes when life hurts, that's when God's doing His deepest work in our hearts and lives to grow and mature us. And this cannot separate us from His love. He says in verse 36, quoting from the Psalms, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. We willingly give up our rights to serve. And so Paul went and Paul lived in a way that ended up costing him his life. But he said it was so worth it for Christ. He said, to me, to live as Christ, to die as gain. So he didn't try and prolong his life. He didn't try and appease people. He lived for Christ. He spoke God's truth, and he willingly gave his life. But look what he says in verse 37. Yet in all these things, what things? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. When, when they gave Paul the death sentence and they put him on the block and the sword came down, uh, the, the uh, rulers in Rome probably thought they'd taken care of Paul. But they didn't. Because we're still being challenged by Paul. We're still being matured in Christ by the writings of Paul. His influence is bigger now than it was when he was alive. And so Paul said, we're more than conquerors through this stuff. In fact, at that exact moment when that sword came down, Paul was absent from the body and present with the Lord. Boom. There. So then he says in verse 38, I am persuaded that neither death, 
nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God loves you. Sometimes it's hard for us to really grasp that because sometimes we don't feel very lovable. You know, when we have hurt somebody who loves us, we don't feel very lovable. When, when we know that we respond a little too aggressively to some of life's circumstances, and, and we don't feel very lovable, but God loves us, not because we're lovable, but because He has an infinite capacity to love. He loves with an everlasting love. Some of you have experienced standing in the front of a church and saying, I do, to somebody else who said, I do, and you did, but they didn't. Some of you have had somebody who said they would love you for your whole life, and then they didn't love you for their whole life. But when God says He'll love you for your whole life, He will. God loves you. He cares about you. He knows you from the inside out. He doesn't just know your actions. He knows your desires. He knows your plans. He, he knows your dreams. He knows your thoughts. He knows your motives. He knows your heart. And He loves you. He knows your deepest, darkest thoughts, and He loves you anyway. Now, I can't imagine how much God could love us. I can't imagine God the Son knowing the agony that He would endure on the cross then gathering his disciples together and instituting the Lord's Supper that we observed on Wednesday night, the Thanksgiving Eve, and he, and he took his uh, uh, piece of unleavened bread, a cracker, and he broke it and he said, take, eat, this do in remembrance of me. This represents my body broken for you. And then he took that fruit of the vine, the scripture says, and so we use the grape juice, and he took that and he said, drink this because it represents my blood shed for you. And so Jesus was fully aware of the agony he was going to endure on the cross, and he said, before he passed out the bread and passed out the cup or passed around the cup, he said, the scriptures say, he gave Thanks. And Hebrews says uh, that uh, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And, and Jesus could look down from the cross and say, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. Now, I know the relationship that God the Father had with His Son is different than the relationship you might have with a son or a daughter because 
Jesus Christ is God, fully, equally God. But in eternity past, they decided the roles they would fulfill in relation to us is Jesus would be the Son and would willingly submit to the Father. But God, the Father, turned His back on God the Son on the cross for us. Jesus endured the separation from God that we deserve so that He could bring us salvation. Now, as a dad, I can't imagine giving the life of one of my kids to pay for somebody who hated me. And that's exactly what God the Father did. God loves you. He has worked so that you can go to heaven with Him. He has worked so that you can live in His house. I mean, I guarantee you, if we all decided, you know what, we're going to move in with Jeff and Sue, and we're all going to move into their house, Jeff and Sue would pack up and head back for Wisconsin. But God wants us there in His house because He loves us. Nothing can separate you from His love. Not your own struggles with sin. He will still love you. Not evil people. They can do their worst, but God will still love you. Not even Satan himself can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You are his, and you are loved. When Jesus died on the cross for you, he demonstrated that great love once and for all time. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us because God loves us. And nothing can separate us from His love. Nothing. You are loved, and there's nothing you can do about it, and there's nothing anyone else can do about it. You will be loved with an everlasting love because God loves you. Every now and then, we would have a kid who was grumpy, or a grandkid who was grumpy. And most of the time, they're not. But, you know, every now and then, they take after their mother. And, uh, <laughs> and you all know that's not quite accurate, right? But, but I can remember getting down on the ground, looking in this grumpy face of this kid who wanted to be angry at me, whether it be one of my own kids or one of my grandkids, and I always tell them the same thing. I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. I'm going to love you anyway. And my Heavenly Father makes that love that I have for my family look pale and weak compared to His awesome love for you. And for me, we are so blessed. Now, if you are here this morning and you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, 
you don't yet know the depth of His love. I, I encourage you, stick around. Let us show you from the Word of God how you can be saved so that when we all go up to heaven, we all go up to heaven.